Storytelling saves the world. Storytelling saves the world. With Jessica and Georgia and all their friends, you never know how the story's gonna end. But storytelling saves the world. Storytelling saves the world. Welcome to the seventh episode of Storytelling Saves the World a podcast where you can find out more about integrating student movie making into your classroom. I'm one of your hosts, Georgia Trelahi, and I'm here with my fabulous storytelling partner in crime, Jessica Pack. Hi, Georgia. Welcome back from break. We're back in the saddle again. We are. <laughs> I guess whether we want to be or not. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, technically, we were already kind of like back at it last week, weren't we? We were. It was kind of like getting our toes in the pool. We got to teach professional development on our favorite subject, which is digital storytelling for Digicom. So that was really fun. That was super fun. We had so many different uh, courses going. You know, that that's one of the things that I'm so excited about is that over the years, Digicom Learning has grown so much from being like a one-room schoolhouse approach to having several different course offerings and being able to meet people at different levels where they're at on their integration journey. So Alex and I got to teach beginning storytelling, and it's fun to watch people that come into that class and don't have a ton of tech, technology skills and then they come to your class and then they're doing film noir pieces and they move on and you know all the way to um, you know documentaries and it's nice to see the progression over the years. And it's great to hear the conversations too because there's that you know growth and evolution of teacher talk over the years that people participate in Digicom where they're going from how do I use we video can you really tell a story in content to the place where they're like, how do I do this better? How do we bring in feedback? How do we bring in more critical thinking opportunities? So I think it's really great that as professionals, our skill set is developing as teachers, but also as storytellers in adjacently to that. So it's just, it's, it's, it's a really it's, fun experience. It's fun to watch the progression. I'm glad you brought up that idea of like, how do I tell stories and content? Because that brings us to our guest today. We're gonna to talk about storytelling and science. And I wanna introduce, I wanna have her introduce herself, Debbie Gordon. So introduce yourself, Debbie. Hi, I'm Debbie Gordon. <laughs> I'm the elementary science TOSA here for Palm Springs Unified. I work with all elementary schools and the teachers and principals working on developing science. And how many years have you been doing that? I've been working with teachers for about four years. I've been teaching myself for 20. I really wanted Debbie to talk to us about today was how storytelling and storyline works in science and how that can like tag team with the storytelling that we do. So can you tell us, like, how does a storyline work in science? Sure. The, the whole thing with storylines in science is trying to get away from teachers lecturing to students and telling them, this is the fact you need to know today. This is what we're going to learn today. And just having the kids sit there and do it because they're told to. With the storyline, the teacher starts out with a phenomenon, something that the kids will look at or experience and say, oh, I wonder about that. What are my questions? And then those questions lead the whole science. So it's really the kids that are saying, you know, when you get to an end of a chapter in a book, first thing says, I wonder what's going to happen next, right? So in science, at the end of the day, the students should say, I wonder what else we're going to do that's going to help me understand this phenomenon. And those questions keep that, that science learning going so the kids are making sense on their own. So if you were thinking like at the end of the unit, and I've been working heavy with second grade on mm -hmm. erosion, and I was thinking like they started with the phenomena of looking at a soundless clip of a drone over the Grand Canyon. Mm -hmm. 
And so then they generated all the questions right. about, you know, what is that and how did that happen? And so how could you see possibly taking, if you think of that unit, mm -hmm. take that and maybe have students make a video of that storyline? Like, right. what do you think that would look like? Depends on where you wanted it to go. Are they learning just about the erosion? Or are they learning about the animals that live there? Are they learning about where the Colorado River comes from? How long did it take? Um, so I think that it would be what the kids were most interested in. Right? The Grand Canyon sometimes for the second grade might be even too big of a story to tell. You might do it just down, um, look outside after the water, after a rainstorm in your backyard, and you have those gullies, right? How did those get there? And explaining that and then oh well I couldn't go on my swing set because I had to jump across my feet got wet and well what can I do to stop that so I think the story especially for the little kids needs to be smaller needs to be where is it that they're at and what are they really asking about so I don't know if a kid can really say oh that's how the Grand Canyon was formed because it's just so big right so a story for for the younger kids needs to be something that they're interested in, something they can get their hands on, and something that they're going to ask those questions about. That like small chunks, like mm -hmm. chewable chunks that they could actually, so that, you know, they could create a video like explaining mm -hmm. a concept. So I'm thinking of second grade in erosion. We did an experiment with, you know, they built these little mountains and we dripped water mm -hmm. on it. And talking about like what happened as it rained, what did they notice? So it could be at the end even like videoing what they did and explaining what happened. Right. I love that you're talking about the concept of choice and leaving room for student voices to kind of like pick the story that is manageable mm -hmm. for them. I think that's such an important contrast to what you were talking about in the beginning, which was just that lecture idea, right? right. Like lecture is prevalent in science and social studies and math and language arts all the way through high school. And so the sooner that you can get away from that type of paradigm, I mean, that's awesome. Right. What are they trying to figure out? And like with the, with the, mountain experiment. The trick with that is to say, do they really understand that what they're seeing there is the same thing on this bigger hill? Or do they right. think on the mountain it's gonna rain and it's gonna all fall down like this, right? So that's that's a trick with those little kids is to have it be something that they can that they can have grasp on and it helps them little tiny chunks. I like the idea of the chunks. This chunk helped me to understand something more about and understanding, I mean, I had found out doing the science that the kids need, the little ones need to understand this is a model we're mm -hmm. making and we have a lot of conversation about, okay, why can't we have a mountain in the classroom, right. you know, and because they need that sort of like totally literal explanation because, you know, the older kids, if you say we're a model, we're done, we're good to go. They mm -hmm. understand it's a model, but the little kids don't necessarily understand that vocabulary. Right. And it's hard for them to transfer what you did there. They might get that, but to then say, oh, that's how the Grand Canyon was formed, that's, that's a big leap. Right. right? Exactly. And I, I think to like in fifth grade when I had my students doing science movies, we would do it at the end of like food webs. And we had done all the work talking about how food webs and food chain worked. Mm -hmm. And then we just did an explainer piece of energy transfer. You know, you're going to start with the sun mm -hmm. and, and we would, I would do you know, like bullet points, these need to be in your video, but you need to explain how the energy transfer works. Right. And then they would go about making their movie. And the powerful thing was when I watched the movie, I could tell whether they understood that, you know, the animals were getting their energy from the plants, which was getting there from the sun, you know, just in how they express it was powerful. Yeah, I wonder if their notebooks would be a good place to do a, a movie from 
if each week or each day when they're doing science, they're writing down what they knew before, how they, what they figured out, and what they still wanted to know, and then use that as kind of their movie basis. So, you know, last week I wanted to know this, and this is what I found out, and this is what it led me to, and then I thought, started thinking, oh, that reminds me of something else, and then that led to this next part. That's an awesome idea because in we video they can grab so many clips, like live clips of mm -hmm. things, so they don't have to go shoot stuff. So they could do a 30 second, one minute, mm -hmm. you know, what they knew and what they wonder. That would be great touch right. points in the class as, you know, the teacher's moving through. As they go on. As well, they go on. Well, it has the bonus of like bringing in the metacognitive element, which I don't think we stop and take enough time for in education in general. Like any grade level, if you can right. get kids to reflect on their own experience as a learner, that's going to be more powerful than anything you can just feed them. And it does take time, but like it's bigger bang for the buck because if they understand what they're thinking about and learning, they're going to take more of that forward than just, like you said, that lecture model in the beginning with a bunch of words that they don't even right. understand what they mean because they're not authentically engaging with those right. words. Which is contrary to how people learn. The metacognition is completely uh, important, right? It's, all, it's also important. And that's what science storylines is all about. What is it that I learned myself? How did I make sense of it? And what did, I, what did I do to make sense of it? And what do I need to also know to make sense of it? So if we do an activity, is it because you told me to do it? Or is it, and I'm just doing it just because? Or am I doing it as a child because I know that's gonna help me understand something? And that's, you know, that puts a whole different spin on, on what they're doing in the classroom and what science should be doing. And I wanna tag that back to um, Alex, when we were, you were here and we were talking about story and why story matters that, I mean, you think about how you had talked about, you know, back to the caveman with hands on the wall and going forward and how our brains are now wired for story. Why story for any subject mm -hmm. is so important because that's how we connect to our learning. Has there been a time in the classroom where you've seen story make an impact on kids? When I was teaching second grade a couple of years ago, I had a little boy who didn't want to learn to read, just didn't want to read. He came in the classroom, said, I don't read, don't want to read, don't care. And we just kind of put that aside for the moment. But then we started doing science, and we did science a lot. And as he was doing science, all of a sudden, a couple of weeks in, a couple of months in, he's getting his hands wet, he's asking questions, he's participating, he's starting to write things in his notebook, he's starting to copy words down, he's starting to look at, at articles and things that we, the other kids were looking at, saying, I want to read that, because I want to know more about this subject that we're doing. And all of a sudden, he's coming back and he goes, I read this to my mom last night. I'm like, what? And uh, he really just took ownership of that and, and started reading. It was pretty cool. So he needed to see like what the value of reading mm -hmm. was. And for him, it seems like the value was, I want to know more stuff. Yep. So I need to learn how to do this. Science gives him a purpose for reading, right? Right. So. I know I had another teacher I worked with, it was a kindergarten teacher, that actually made a science video for her class. Um, she was teaching about the sun's effects. And she had this little... Um, crown mm -hmm. that she named him like Billy was coming oh, to school yes, yes. and so she made it for the class you know Billy's coming to school and he has this problem if he's in the sun he will die he will melt so the class had to figure out they had to engineer places on the playground that Billy could actually go and she she videoed oh, this great. story and then had the class go back and design how can we how can we let have Billy come and, and be part of our school and be safe on the playground? And so the kids did all of these different models and ways they could, you know, 
create shade structures on the playground and you know make keep them off of the slide you know when it's super hot and so she used the video as a springboard and then she actually videoed the kids I mean this was a, like a month and a half two month you know unit what they were doing when they were you know having their collaborative discussions which I think also helps not only for the storytelling aspect but she can go share that with her grade level the videos like this is what we did and for teachers especially kindergarten that may struggle with how am I gonna get science in this was engaging and it was fun for the kids and they you know they totally bought right away that this little crown was like a kid and he had his little crown family and you know we right. want to want to save him from dying on the playground so I thought that was pretty clever mm-hmm. I think that's a really great example of how storytelling can like humanize dry content because that really seems like it gave them a purpose for wanting to be able to participate in the sciencey aspects and share what they had figured out digital storytelling wise. I think a big part what you said about the collaborative discussions, that's a big part of science and I think storytelling. It's not just my story, it's our story as a group and that, that conversation that they have with their partners or with each other really builds that story. Because you're not learning in science, we always say you don't learn by yourself. Science is a collaborative learning opportunity. There's there's no scientist that lives in a little box and only does his own science. They and have doesn't to, talk to anybody, don't talk else. To anybody yeah. else, doesn't learn from anybody else, doesn't share his information. It's, it should be all open and sharing and, and that And their that stories are going to change. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if they're talking to each other and changing information and like, oh, I didn't think of that. Um, oh, okay, maybe you're right. I mean, I want to, and maybe it'll give them other things to explore. Exactly. And, and where, where, where is this person coming from? Oh, I didn't even think of that. That's a great thing for elementary teachers to think is that, you know, how can you storify science, make it engaging for your kids, mm-hmm. and even bringing in literature, taking three little pigs, and how does that show cause and effect? You can do that a lot. You can do it even with the science and engineering practices. They take like a book like uh, The Mouse and the Motorcycle, and in that book, the mouse Ralph falls into a trash can and he can't get out. So then, the kids are reading that book and now the task is design engineer a way to help him get out so they're reading this book they're invested in this book book and then they have this engineering task oh we could make a ramp or we could make a pulley or we could do these other things so it's adding that literature and that science together where a lot of times you were saying how we do literature or English with social studies mm-hmm. why can't English and science be a block that's such a great idea to bring up, too, because at the training last week, I had a lot of elementary teachers in my session, and one of our recurring conversations was just centered around the element of time, mm-hmm. like how much time we really mm-hmm. don't have as teachers in the room with right. our kids and that we'd love to have more. And I think that type of efficiency of instruction that you're talking about, where you're hitting multiple mm-hmm. um, subjects at once, I think that that's a really important thing for all of us to be able to grasp onto. Um, otherwise, there aren't enough hours in the day. Right. And you if are taking a lot of time for digital storytelling. Yeah. For sure. Listening to your conversation, it makes me think about um, Daniel Pink's book, Drive, which is about the science of human motivation, right? And like why we are motivated when we are motivated. And he talks a lot about how it, humans, by nature, we need to feel a certain sense of autonomy. We have a craving for mastery because we want to be good at things. And we also crave purpose. And so all of that, those examples that you guys were just talking about, especially that crayon one, like mm-hmm. that's a kid having a greater purpose for the learning, having the opportunity to reach mastery through making autonomous choices about how they're going to reach that understanding. I just think that's so cool. And that's something that we need so much more of in every context. And it just, it just bumps engagement up so high. I mean, 
with kids, we see that when they're making choices, that they're all in rather than, you know, oh, she's just speaking at me again. I'll just sit over here and put my head down. Um, so that's interesting. I haven't read that book. I will. I will. But just thinking that as adults, that's absolutely true too, but kids need that as well. And that's what we love about movie making and digital storytelling is it is all about choice, whether it's a subject where you give bullet points, you know, if you're, you need to tell me, you know, how does energy transfer work in a food food web or food chain, but they choose how they put that together. They choose their clips. They choose how they, you know, how it rolls out. And that does build a lot of engagement and all that metacognitive, you know, good stuff that we like to get. Which is important considering the greater conversation in education right now is what do we do about intentional non-learners? What do we do about kids who might be a little tougher to handle or have a little more baggage that they're bringing into the classroom with them? So, I mean, just watching social media feeds, especially that are education-based, this is a concern everyone everywhere has. And I think we've probably had it for a very long time. It's just being amplified by legislation right now. So I think this whole conversation about how to get kids invested truly in what we're trying to accomplish with them, I mean, that's the most important thing that we can talk about. All right, are you ready? So we're going to do five and 60. Okay, ready? Go. So Debbie, what drink do you order when a science lesson goes wrong? Rum and Coke. Movie or we video? iMovie. What's the most stressful thing that has happened during a science lesson? Doing a lesson that was supposed to make bubbles and fizz everywhere and it just sat there and I didn't know why. <laughs> what is the most surprising thing that you have discovered about yourself since supporting K-5 science for students? That I know more science than I thought I did. And what is the most unusual thing you had to find for a science lesson or experiment, like a material? Worms. Ah. Worms. Ew, creepy crawlies. Can you, can you buy those on Amazon? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Amazon Prime, I guess. Yeah. Would be good. Quick, quick turnaround. Quick. That's right. Well, we have so loved having you here, Debbie, but we have one more fun thing we'd love to do with you. Debbie's being an awesome sport today, so I just want to give her kudos for that. Do you see me just roll my eyes? Um, I, felt, I felt it over here. There was a little bit of, like, movement. There was sarcasm in yes. the course. <laughs> so the way we do this is we have beginning, middle, and end for our storymatic, and we each pick one, doesn't matter which one, and then Jessica will do 60 seconds on the clock, and we will tell our story. So, um, Debbie, since you're our guest, go ahead and you can pick whichever one you want. Should have remembered which ones they were. Oh, because I, like, I, I've, it's I, like that game you speak. Yeah, three card Monty. Yeah. All right, in the middle. Oh, I'm the end. Oh, I'm the beginning. Okay. All right, so for our storymatic story today, the things we have to have in our story it's a camping trip and a believer in reincarnation. So one day, a girl named Betty Lou was sitting on a bus, and she was so excited because she had packed all of her best camping gear into her knapsack, and it was on the seat beside her, and she just could not wait because she was going camping. And her bus, as it was winding down the hill, coming to the stop where she would get off at the campgrounds, she was just so excited as the bus was drifting down that hill and she thought i cannot wait to get out there in nature and commune with all the various species so then she got to her camping site and there was a squirrel on the table and because she's a believer in reincarnation she thought that squirrel was her grandma and so she sat down and had a conversation with her 
But Grandma, how, how did you know I was going to be here on this camping trip? And the squirrel in Morse code tapped out, I hacked your social media and I knew you were coming camping. And what was her name? Betty, Betty Lou. Betty Lou. And <laughs> Betty Lou was so excited because she felt like she had proof in reincarnation that this squirrel really was her grandmother. And she ran off to tell the others. The end. Yes. I love that your squirrel is like tapping out Morse code, but also monitoring social media feeds. <laughs> like, where is your phone? <laughs> That is hilarious. That would be Gangster Squirrel, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. Oh my god, that was weird. I was. I'm gonna be honest. I was thinking about Betty Lou Who because I was thinking about the Grinch who stole Christmas. Oh, Betty Lou Who. I was like picturing like the little Who child in my brain for camping. <laughs> and I was pretty sure we were going to a place where like she would not want to squash a bug, so she wouldn't even get off the bus. That's where I was thinking. But it's I funny. much more prefer her talking to Grandma Squirrel. I was thinking <laughs> of like meeting an animal and thinking it was one of her relatives. So that was good. Thank you for joining us on Storytelling Saves the World, which has been brought to you by Digicom Learning. You can visit them at www.digicomlearning.org or follow Digicom Learning on Facebook or Instagram. And hey, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes and or SoundCloud. And while you're at it, why don't you give us a review? Our show notes can be found on our website, storytellingsavestheworld.com. Our next podcast will be about storytelling in the elementary grades. If you have an idea for our podcast, please email us via the contact form on our website. We'd love to hear from you. Again, that's storytellingsavestheworld.com. Until next time, what's your story? Story.